The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links. Yes, it is great to be back in this seat with this microphone in front of my face, knocking the rust off. I am energetic as hell. I am ready to go. There's a lot going on in the world of MMA and combat sports. We have UFC 288 coming up on Saturday. One championship making their U.S. debut tomorrow night. BKFC had a massive weekend this past weekend. So much to get to. So let us introduce the panel. First, he is Mr. No Gray Area. He filled in like an absolute champion last week while I was on vacation. He's the co-host of No Bets Barred and the man behind... The soon-to-be iconic chat GPT bets, Mr. Jed Mishu. Jed, thank you for running things last week, my dude. How are you? I don't hear him. Oh, no. Name. You can hear me now. Sorry. It, uh, oh, yeah. It Absolutely. Uh, so, sorry, my setup reset itself. What I was saying, Mike, is you make it look easy, but as you can tell... It's not. Uh, so glad to have you back because it was a lot. Uh, a lot went into last week. So glad to, to give it back to you for all of this. And I'm glad you're back in the, the seat you're in because we have a hell of a matchup and folks, his opponent, I'm so happy about this because it has been a while since he has been on the program. And for months and months, I have been bugging this man to come back on the show and schedules just didn't line up. Until today, ladies and gentlemen, he is full of energy, too. The deputy editor of MMA Fighting, the wise wordsmith, some might say the best writer in the whole damn world, Mr. Shaheen Al-Shadi. Shaheen, welcome back, man. How are you? 
I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. It's always fun to be here with you guys. Uh, full energy. I don't know about that. I'm on like <laughs> virtually no sleep with my eight month old at this point. Uh, I, I don't remember sleep. I'm barely a human being, but I'm very excited to be here. It's been a bit, as you said. And welcome back, Mike Tech. It's good to have you back. Thank you. And maybe bantering back and forth with Jed will be just the energy boost that you need. So I don't let's know. start with I think something, it's something you know? in Arizona. I mean, if you watch the Sun series thus far, wow! It might just be something in Arizona. They are not looking, don't have all that much pep in their step. 87, 87 points, Gene. Come on. I'm not here. I, want, I, I, I don't want to hear I'm, any I'm, of the postseason. I'm, I'm stuff. just a very sad person right now. I got nothing. I'm going to live and die without seeing this stupid franchise do anything. <laughs> That's worth anything. So, you know, I got nothing. I'm a beaten man. You're you're be, you're kicking a beaten dog right now. Good job. I thought that that would inspire you and instead it really just kind of shoved you down even further. I'm sorry. That that wasn't my intent, but I would think if anybody yeah. would understand my plight, it's an it's a Atlanta sports fan, but like nah, y'all y'all just got to pile on. Okay. That's fine. Oh, look. Atlanta has terrible sports teams, but I'm a back-to-back -back national champion. I'm I'm living my best life right now. That's what Gene. I'm saying. So you you've great. risen. You have risen. You have elevated. You should be. Yeah, you should the feel Hawks pity will never, for me. You should the feel Hawks pity will never for me. Elevate. You know where I'm at. You know the sadness I'm living right now. You, if anybody, should not be piling on. I don't. I don't know, man. Adding Kevin Durant and still getting swept out of the semis is. It's going to be a tough look. It's going to be a tough, tough look. But look, Shaheen I, is uh, Shaheen yeah. is also a New England Patriots fan, so you can always drop the twenty-eight to three, Shaheen, True. and that's all you need. That's and fair. at least you're not a Bruins fan. Up three-one, feeling good about life, and then you just get your ass whipped for three straight games by the freaking Florida Panthers. Unbelievable. So yeah, speaking of that risen, was a, that was a collapse from the Bruins. I Ooh. was. Uh, I was really pissed off. That was the one thing about vacation. I watched a, a lot of sports and I was pissed. But uh, the Bruins did not rise. The Panthers did. And so did BKFC this past weekend. So let's put a bow on that because unequivocally, look at that. Look at that unquestionably, gentlemen. He makes it look it was, so easy, doesn't he? It's Shane? so good. It's so good. Uh, stop it. Uh, it was a BKFC weekend last weekend, guys. I know there's a UFC card, but it was a BKFC weekend all the way. BKFC 41 went down in Denver. Mike Perry stops Luke Rockhold, busted up some teeth in the main event. Eddie Alvarez and Chad Mendez had a freaking war in the co-main event. Alvarez wins. Mendez retires. Big Ben Rothwell did Big Ben Rothwell things and so much more. So, Shaheen, let's begin with you. This sport... This promotion, it's not for everyone, but man, did they have the combat sports world talking this past weekend and throughout this week too. I'm still getting questions on heck of a morning about this BKFC card. How big was this event for BKFC? It was the biggest weekend they've ever had, right? Like that was the biggest W that that sport, that entity, that promotion has ever taken. Uh, and it, it came at a, a, what seemed to be a very... I'd say pivotal time for him, right? We've we saw David Feldman on the MMA Hour afterwards saying, you know, I, I took out a second mortgage on my house for this. Like he, they were all in. David Feldman in particular was all in on this weekend. This was kind of a make or break weekend for them, and and they crushed it, man. They absolutely crushed it. I mean, we we on the website, uh, Mike, you you were you were uh, enjoying a vacation, so maybe you weren't paying super close attention. But it was basically BKFC week all week for the website because that was what people were interested in. That was what the MMA world was talking about. Was this bare knuckle boxing? 
and they they hit it out of the park, man. This was the biggest week they have had. And I think at this point, it's almost it's it's bizarre that we have reached a place where bare knuckle boxing is almost the darling of the MMA world, right? Like they feel like they have so much goodwill uh, within this space that is just so hard to find, right? Like Bellator definitely doesn't have it. PFL doesn't have it. One championship very much doesn't have it. Like they almost have that. Uh, I, I heard somebody this week. I think maybe our, our good friend Ariel Hawani said something like this. Like they have that strike force vibe around them. Where people wanted Strike Force to succeed because of sort of the 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 ethos around Strike Force and how fun it was and et cetera, et cetera. That's where it feels like BKFC has reached. Is people want them to succeed. Uh, because we're seeing all these guys come out here and talk about how well the promotion treats them, how much money they're making in the promotion. <laughs> Again, money that it seemed like I don't know where they're finding, but it's all these mortgages that David Feldman is taking on this house. And it, it's just it's it's a really remarkable success story because i mean i think we can all remember when this first started that it did a felt like a flash in the pan b felt like very much just sort of this circusy thing that was just happening on the side but also see i think a lot of us if you would have asked us four or five years ago when this started a lot of people would have predicted that this is going to fail and that this, there's a pretty short shelf life on this and that once the novelty of oh bare knuckle boxing these dudes are fighting with no gloves once that wore off that people would move on but they have consistently been able to raise the bar for themselves and sort of hit these benchmarks along the way, whether it's Artem versus Polly, whether it's signing like Paige Van Zayt, it's getting somebody right at, at sort of the peak of when that would matter for that promotion, using them up and then moving on. Like they, they have really played this well. And this was their Banner weekend. This was their Super Bowl. And it was everything that we wanted from it, right? It was everything they could have wanted from it. Chad Mendes, Eddie Alvarez crushed it one of the best fights of the year and then mike perry is their conor mcgregor and then to be able to pull in conor mcgregor at the end of that like that was a 10 out of 10 five stars no notes type of weekend for them and again it seems like everyone is very happy for them jed in the world famous mma fighting yearly draft second year we did it you run bkfc so something tells me sure do. you were pleased with the results of saturday's card were you not Look, we're, we're doing great. You know, I'm proud of Dave Feldman. I hired him to, you know, step in, run the day-to-day -day ops while I'm, I'm the strategy guy. You know, anybody who's worked for a startup, you know, my, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the big picture guy. Day-to-day, uh, -day, Dave's doing great. I mean, just look at, look at, look at the engagement. Look at, look at just the joy that the BKFC 41 gave everybody this weekend. Uh, I mean, Shaheen summed it up really well. I mean, a, a little long-winded, but you know, it's his first time back in a while. He wants to knock the dust off. It was, it was a spectacular weekend. All of the fights delivered. They all did exactly what they needed to. And this was a big moment for us at BKFC. You know, we, we put a lot of eggs in this basket, not all of them, but a lot of them. And, and the basket safe, just sturdy hands, soft palms, like Lynn Swan, baby, nothing, nothing cracking out of there. And I think it's paid big dividends. I think we're, we're coming out of this event with a whole different level of momentum. Conor McGregor getting involved, you know, big upping us too, not just being there to watch the fights of his own volition. We certainly didn't pay him anything to go there. He just, just a fan of the product guys getting in there, doing the face off helped us saying afterwards, Hey, I could see myself doing something, which if you want to go back to the, to the written or listen to the podcast of the draft, almost word for word, why I said we were taking Conor McGregor. Yes. He's the biggest star in the sport, but also BKFC 
requires a, a different kind of person. And Conor McGregor is is a dude who I think will fare very well inside our our ring whenever he does decide to make the transition. So huge weekend for us. Uh, really excited about where we're going and and what's next for us because it, it's it's going to be equally as good coming down the line. I can assure you of that. Well, to paraphrase the great Rick Pitino, as of right the second, Conor McGregor is not walking through that door, Jed Mishu, but Mike Perry has walked through that door. He has become a star. He's the face of the promotion right now, especially now that Paige Van Zandt has been out for so long. This sport was just made for this guy, 100%. And Mike has been on the wrong side of headlines over the years. He's had some attitude problems in the past, but over the last couple of years, Jed Mishu, this man seems happy, seems to be at peace, Kind of seems that this, you know, barbaric sport has changed him for the better while making a lot of money and being a dad and being a family man. Like I've interviewed this guy while he was in the UFC, he told me to go F myself. And then I would interview him since he signed with BKFC and it's like a whole different person. So I guess the question is, what do you make of this version of Mike Perry, Jed, this, this resurgence or I guess emergence in this combat sports space? This is custom built for him. This is his sport, you know. We we say this more about athletes in other sports, right? Of like, oh, well, he really has found his calling. Um, oh, that you see a lot, particularly in football, where like, oh, a, a team is finally using. He's not a three technique. He needs to be shooting the gaps. Like it's that's Mike Perry here. Is sure he could do MMA, and he was fairly successful at that. You know, certainly more than most. But it it is not the thing that that's resonates in his soul in the way that BKFC and, and he just a match made in heaven. He he's got a lot of skill, but he's got even more heart and honestly bare knuckle. A, a lot of it is, is that as well outside of just, you know, talent, you got to be willing to do it. And there are few men more willing to, to do this than, than Mike Perry. So he is the perfect the perfect face of our promotion. Certainly, we we hope to continue bringing in big names like Luke Rockhold, uh, like Eddie Alvarez. Eddie Alvarez took to it very well. I think we're we're going to have another run with him, and you know maybe we get Mike Perry and Eddie Alvarez down the line. Maybe we get Eddie Alvarez, Luis Palomino, our champion. I think both both of these guys can can do very well, and we've got our eyes on a couple of other uh, emerging talents as well because I think there are a certain subset of fighters who. Yes, they can do well in MMA, excel even, uh, depending on their division and, and how weak it is. But there are some people who seem really w more well-suited to what, what we're offering, and Mike Perry is just the first of many. Shaheen, your thoughts on the last couple of years of Mike Perry's fighting career? I mean, who else can pick his nose and wipe a booger on a big custom-made jacket and actually get it over? Mike Perry has done that. Everything he does sort of turns to gold for them, and that wasn't necessarily the case with the UFC. He's a changed man. He's a star now. What have you made of this last couple of years for this guy? The booger man. The Boogerman, Mike. I mean, come on. It's it's a master class. <laughs> Jed is right. Mike Perry was born for this. And to me, that's been one of the most fun parts about sort of this slow evolution of BKFC, but also just the slow bleeding of BKFC into our world and how the fan base has accepted it and, and now is sort of really like, I would say, looking forward to it in some respects. It's seeing the familiar in unfamiliar, right? Because it obviously BKFC is very, very different from MMA, but it seems like the crossover of the fan bases is almost a perfect circle type of Venn diagram. Like this, ever, MMA 
is the BKFC fan base because we are seeing our talents that we that we know that we've grown up with that we love guys like Eddie Alvarez guys like you know Artem Loboff if you want to go back like all these different people we're seeing them take what we know about them and go into such a completely different and unfamiliar space that seems vaguely familiar, right? Like it, 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 it has a little tinge of what we know and love about them, but it's just throwing them into such a vastly different world on so many different levels. And we've seen this consistently with, with the debuters, people like a Luke Rockhold who go in there thinking that they know what this is going to be about. And then very quickly realizing like, Oh, this is, this is not at all what I thought this was going to be. And maybe this is a little tougher than what I thought it was going to be. And Eddie Alvarez put it, said it perfectly earlier this week when he was talking to MMA fighting on the MMA hour, when he said, this is the, excuse me, this is not the sport for the athletes, right? Like this is sport for the dogs. This is what that is exactly what this is. And it's so fun to see who translates over to that. Cause I mean, you could, there, there's all sorts of fantasy matchmaking you could do with this of like who would, who would succeed in this type of sport, whether it'd be a like Dustin Poirier feels like he would be someone who would crush it in, in, in BKFC, that type of thing. And then there is the athletes too, the guys who you go like a Luke Rockhold, everyone was seemingly dubious whether this would work out for him. It's just very fun to see, as I said, the, the familiar and an unfamiliar. And I, I think that's been so, what's been so cool about Mike Perry. Cause you could have just said Mike Perry, bare knuckle boxing, and I think everyone who knows anything about Mike Perry would be like, yeah, that's that's home run. That's going to work out. Who's so, your number one okay. guy? Who is your number one guy you want us to see Ooh. bring over? Because I obviously have a list of people. You nailed it. I mean, there's a reason I didn't draft Umar Nurmagomedov. You know, great fighter just doesn't fit with what we're trying to pull. Uh, who is your number one guy? So I got I got two obvious ones, and then one who's my actual number one guy. Okay. Dustin and Justin are the two obvious ones okay. because I well, mean, come on, we we drafted yeah. both of them, so exactly, great, great work. Yeah, the number the, the number one, Nate Landwehr. That man was born for this. That is the Mike. He's going to have a great BKFC career in like five. Whatever, years. yeah. Whenever his UFC career is over, I am so much looking forward to his BKFC career because he's going to just crush it over there. He's going to do great. Uh, incorrect answer though. I, we, we're already sending, sending, uh, messages where, you know, it might be a little early, but we're going to get him sooner rather than later. Uh, the day Derek Lewis comes on over to BKFC, it's going to be a good day. Boys, it's going to be a good day when Derek Lewis comes. Woo! Him versus Ben Rothwell. Woo! By the way, you got to feel you got to feel for Alan Belcher out there who like really made like a thing for himself, like sort of reinventing himself as this heavyweight champion for them, all 220 pounds of them. And all of a sudden it's just 290 Ben Rothwell, fully haired up, just real furry, big giant behemoth coming at you. And it's like, I don't blame Alan Belcher. I wouldn't want to fight Ben Rothwell either. There's like a 70 pound weight difference here. It's different. It's, it's I mean, it's going to be, it's gonna be tough for Alan. Alan's going to have a tough one. Shaheen, I want to go back to something you touched on earlier because here, here's the thing about BKFC. When they have all these big cards, we always ask, like, how the hell can you top that? Like, have they peaked? And you mentioned the Artem Loboff, Pauly Malignaggi card where I, along with many others, said, this is it. Like, it'll never get bigger than this. And then over the last three or so years, big cards, big names, great events, and it seems like they're catching on more and more and you mentioned the timing and getting some of these fighters over when they're getting them and just putting on these big events and using 
some of these names to catapult other names. Like look at what Britton Hart became after she beat Paige Van Zandt and she's still a pretty big star for them. And now there's potential TV deals. So I don't know how many mortgages David Feldman can take out at this point, but like how bright is the future for this promotion moving forward? Like, can they sustain this buzz over a long period of time? Like, are we having this conversation on BTL five years from now about BKFC having a massive successful event? I mean, it definitely feels like they're on the precipice of something genuine and legitimate, right? Because that's sort of the thing, right? When this first came out, it still, it felt for like a novelty for so long. Like even through the Paige Van Zandt stuff, the Art of Polly, all of that felt like a novelty. This, to me, felt like the first real weekend where, oh no, this is a real thing that MMA fans are enjoying. This is a real thing that MMA fans want to get behind. And this is a real thing that actually could become a genuine player in this space in the fact, in the, in the form that like, if there's a big BKFC card next time around and say there's whatever you would consider a big PFL or a big Bellator event, I think there's a very good chance a lot of people would shy towards the BKFC card and what they saw. And just being able to elevate yourself into that conversation where you're obviously not ever going to be the UFC. But if you can sort of be talked about with the Bellators, with the PFLs, with the one championships, that is a massive, massive win. And that it does, for me, for the first time, feel like there is legitimate staying power here with BKFC because there is just so much goodwill. And at this point, they have, they have I would say, passed so many tests, right, for the MMA fan base just when it comes to longevity. Like, we've now seen them crush it consistently with these big events. I, next time there's a big event, a lot of people are going to be tuning in, especially if they can get a TV deal. I don't know if this Triller money is coming in at any point. If that does exist, it seems like this Triller deal is in a very weird spot for them. Um, you know, maybe hopefully that can come in for them at some point. So David Feldman doesn't have to take a third mortgage out on his house. But it does feel like there is something sustainable here. And they, and again, their eye for talent and, and picking veterans at the right spot with well-known names and, and sort of putting them in the fun matchups that we would want to see. It is proven time and time again now. And at this point, it feels like they are here to stay and they are very much in that conversation for number two. I wouldn't put them there at number two at that moment, but on any given weekend, they can dominate that weekend and that is massive. I'm muted. Can you hear me? Here we go. Uh, I My thing just disconnected for some reason, but I am back. Jed, how, how can you continue to the, sustain this success? I'm not saying you can't do it, but... I mean, you're making some big moves, and and now your home state of Georgia, Jed, legalized in Georgia. That's I, a very big I'm deal. I'm sure you had so a big excited. part of that. I'm so what's excited that, for the day we bring BKFC to Atlanta. It's going to be a great day. Look, we're, we can continue to succeed. The same thing we've been doing. We're not over. We're not getting too far out over our skis. Yes, Dave did mortgage his house. People do that all the time. It's fine. For an event like this, things like that are okay. But, you know, we were honest. Hey, we don't have enough money to bring in Francis Ngannou. Francis Ngannou would be a huge coup for us, but he's more expensive than we can really, you know, merit at this point in time. We're going to keep doing the same thing. We're going to continue to build with names that you know, develop our own talent in-house. Uh, I would like us to Perry back our event schedule a little bit more because uh, we are running about 20 events a year and that's still on the higher end kind of given where we're at but we're just going to keep putting out and the thing about BKFC is not every event is is set up to be this monster for us right this was obviously a very specific weekend do either of you know our, our event that's happening uh, in two weeks from now 
Of course you don't. BKFC 42 <laughs> is headlined by guys you've never heard of. Don't need you. Don't need to wait for you to be like, sure don't. Uh, and, and that's okay because as long as we have the flagship of Knucklemania every year, that gives us a baseline to work with. And then two or three more times a year, aside from Knucklemania, we can do big attraction fights like this. That's how we can have a sustainably growing product that's still here for years and years on end. There are other people doing bare knuckle fights, but we are the home of it. And we believe that this sport has a long, long way to go uh, and, and continue advancing. I will say just to add to that though, because it, it's part of this conversation that it does feel like we are in a very major inflection point with BKFC coming up here because we keep, we consistently keep saying Mike Perry is the face of the sport. And I think it's objectively true at this point that he is the face of bare knuckle boxing. Mike Perry is also a free agent. Mike Perry I kind mean, of has BKFC yeah, over now. a barrel right now. Yeah, sure. I'm just saying he has BKFC over a barrel right now, and he's about to get the bag from BKFC if they're going to retain his services because he he can point to every metric and everything that we are saying right now, that he is the face of the sport, and it, it would be a devastating blow for BKFC at where they are right now within this space if they lost Mike Perry. So that is the one caveat I will throw to this, that – you know, I, I feel like this is a very sustainable product moving forward, but it is so important for them to to maintain Mike Perry's services. And it's insane that that is a sentence that just came out of my mouth. I would not have thought of that two, two, three years ago, that that would be something I would be saying. But it is so deeply important to BKFC right now in this very moment that we are at, that they cannot lose Mike Perry. Like that is that is very, very important. Of no concerns about us retaining Mike Perry. I mean, look, we pay great. Ask any of the fighters you've ever talked to. What's the first thing they say is, man, you guys are doing so much better than my time with the UFC or, or XYZ. We're we're gonna get Mike back. Don't don't you worry about it. It's we're gonna continue building. It's gonna be a very, very good time for all. Hey, if you're Maz at all, you're giving Mike Perry a call right now. Get him on bare knuckle. Get him on the boxing cards. The payouts are public, and they're just redonkulous for hey, former UFC fighters. So we will take that. Bring if, it look, in. We we because that that's one of the founding principles of our company is the reason we have this goodwill is because we're here for the fighters. We understand what the fighters want and need. We we support them as much as we can. But if ultimately we can't come to an agreement with Mike, that will be worse for us. But I'll I'll just be honest. Do we think do we think Masvidal's hanging around for a long time? Because I don't know. Look at look at the seats they're selling for his events, baby. They ain't doing it like we're doing it. So if Mike needs to get a quick bag over there, that's fine. We will still be here because we are built for the long haul, and Mike is welcome as long as he wants to. Fair enough. Well, let's move on. Shout out to Song Yidong for his big win, but we don't have time to talk about that. So the point for round one goes to... <laughs> Hopefully this wakes him up a little bit more. Shaheen Al-Shadi, one to nothing. Guys, did you know I mean, that Houston Alexander is fighting for us in two weeks or three weeks? Is yeah, that true? He's, I did not he's know He's undefeated. That. He's undefeated. He's undefeated. He 51-year-old Houston Alexander is for real when it comes to, to bare-fisted combat. I do enjoy that you, you referred to BKFC as we, that entire segment. Did not break character yeah. once. <laughs> True okay. pro. True Put pro. Characters. It's, it's our company. Me and yeah, Dave, I, we're doing great. Well, I couldn't give Jed the point. It'd be a conflict of interest. He obviously has the, <laughs> the knowledge and the, the bookkeeping in front of him, so I can't do that. So... 
The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down and new customers to DraftKings can bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Let's head to UFC 288 this Saturday. The main event is Aljamain Sterling defending his Bantamweight title versus the returning Henry Cejudo. And Jed, I'll begin with you because both of you know this, and I think anybody watching this knows this. I hated this idea. You can go back to the UFC 280 post-fight show in October. I got red in the face, angry about this idea. You can see how much I hated it. But since then, this seed that was just ugly and yucky and disgusting and I wanted to pick it up and throw it in the trash and it didn't make sense has over time just been watered and bloomed into this like weird flower where I take it to floral shops in the area and even the most experienced florist expert is like, what the hell is this thing? It doesn't make sense, but it, but it has bloomed into something that just fascinates me. It has now fascinated me. That's what this fight has done over time, Jed. So where are your excitement levels for this fight right now? Two days away that's, from That's an insane metaphor. What a setup. Such an incredible fight. Um, I got to tell you, my enthusiasm is nowhere near your enthusiasm for this fight or apparently for horticulture in general. So I feel like I'm missing out. Uh, I feel we talked about it at the time. It's, uh, we said, you know, this is a terrible fight. Stupid doesn't make sense. Who benefits? What's the point? Blah, blah, blah. I largely feel the same. Um, it's here. Uh, and I am intrigued. Certainly. I, I will say that I'm the closer this fight's gotten, the more just I have no real idea what the hell's about to happen on Saturday. And so that always will make me at least interested. If I am genuinely can just don't know what's about to occur. All right. I'm you've, you've piqued my interest. Uh, I still think this is a dumb fight. I still think it's a stupid fight. I still think if Henry Cejudo wins this fight, he is at most going to fight Sean O'Malley. And then he is going to hold out to fight at featherweight. So you are running a very real risk of just, jeopardizing your bantamweight title for a considerable amount of time which for in my mind little payoff i 
I don't know what this is going to do numbers wise. Henry Cejudo has never been like a real big draw uh, historically, and neither has Aljamain Sterling. And I don't think when you add two guys who historically haven't been big draws that somehow two wrongs make a right here. So I suspect that this isn't going to do gangbusters. And so I still don't understand the promotional benefit uh, because this is the kind of move to me. This is like, you guys remember when Matt Hughes fought Hoist Gracie and it was insane and everyone was like, this is really dumb. I don't know why we're doing this, but like, okay. It's also kind of interesting because never thought about it. And there's nobody else for Matt to fight right now. This is, that's when you do this fight when there's nobody else. Bantamweight has no dearth of, of contenders. There is in fact a number one contender who's been jumped over for this in Sean O'Malley. There's a whole host of other dudes coming up. Rob Valashvili is probably the best bantamweight on earth and he's not going to hold the belt for at least 18 months like because we're doing side quests at this point. So I still think the fight's dumb, but I am genuinely interested because there are some very curious X factors coming into this fight and I don't have any idea how it's going to play out. Yeah, I, I I don't think this is the fight that should be made. But as it's grown, I am more I am interested because I have no idea what that was going to happen. But Shaheen, where are you at with this fight? I think I'm on the same level as you, Mike. My my plant maybe is uh, not as as bloomed quite as bit as you, but also I came from maybe a better starting point than you. Uh, you hated this a little more than I did, but ultimately, this felt like the wrong fight in the moment. We asked. I remember very very clearly that post fight show of telling the UFC just do the thing. Like, why are you not doing the thing? Put Sean O'Malley in this. You've been waiting for this opportunity to put Sean O'Malley in a fight like this. It's strange that you're not right now in favor of Henry Cejudo. But as we draw closer, I mean, it is one of those things where you come around to it, right? Because Jed put it perfectly. Any fight where I any fight of this magnitude, featuring talents of this magnitude where I actually don't have any real sense of, of what this is going to be, what this is going to look like, how this is going to play out. That is inherently interesting. And that is sort of where this is reached. Is this fight is inherently interesting because there are so many questions revolving around Henry Cejudo in particular, but also just this matchup and what this matchup could look like and really who Senator Henry Cejudo is at this point, right? Because I think we all can agree that Henry Cejudo made a giant mistake three years ago when he retired as a ploy to try to suck more money out of the UFC and the UFC said, Hey, thanks Henry. We're good. Uh, and by like two days after that had already moved on and figured out new plans. Like that was maybe a giant misstep for Henry Cejudo overvaluing his worth. But I will say to give credit to Henry Cejudo over the time he has been gone over these three past years, I feel like he has maintained a steady presence in within the sport just through coaching, through content creation. Like this man has stayed relevant to a degree that he was able to parlay that into this fight now and now we reach you know a, a very in interesting I, I hate to use this word again but inflection point for Aljamain Sterling right because this is someone who has never been embraced by the UFC public by by the MMA fan base despite the fact that he is objectively one of the best bantamweights we have seen I'm not I'm not going to do the goat conversation because that is stupid and tired and no one wants to hear it and also I'm just sick of talking about that every single time somebody has a title defense or two but he is he is one of the better bantamweights we have ever seen. And and now coming into a fight against Henry uh, with this sort of consecutive title defense streak looming, right? Like he would tie or be the first person to have three consecutive title defenses within this division. Uh, Dominic Cruz and TJ have done it, but they were over two different reigns. That is interesting in, in and of itself. But also you throw out the age thing with Henry Cejudo and who Henry Cejudo is as an athlete, right? He is one of the best combat sports athletes we have seen just generally, if you put just accomplishments out there. But 
he is 36 years old. He's 36 years old coming off a three-year three, three year layoff, and it's the same thing we talked about, <laughs> ironically, for the last Aljamain Sterling Tyler defense against TJ Dillashaw, where if Henry Cejudo wins on Saturday, he is he's making history in a lot of different ways, but mainly in the fact that he will be by far, by far, the oldest champion under at 155 or below in the history of this in the history of the UFC. Like not even close. Right now it's it's 34. It's Alexander Volkanovsky. And I think Davidson Figueredo as well was 34 when he was in his title run. So if Henry Cejudo is doing it, he is by leaps and bounds the oldest champion we have seen in the lower weight division. That's interesting to me because Henry Cejudo was very, very good when he left. We for as cringe as his personality may be and as as easy as it may ha- be to have a distaste for the way he approaches certain things. He is a very, very good fighter, and I'm curious to see whether he is still a very, very good fighter three years later. Now, the winner of this fight, and we'll talk more about legacies and and, and what a win for either guy means tomorrow on the preview show, but the winner, uh, we already mentioned his name, likely, unless you just fumble the bag like never before, you're fighting Sean O'Malley next. So the stakes for the winner includes... Leave with the belts, get a big fight with the biggest star in the division. Won that Sterling and probably Cejudo would likely be pretty favored in. But the man who doesn't win, Shaheen, someone brought this up on Heck of a Morning this morning. The man who does not get his hand raised, where does that person go? Like, where does Aljo go? And and maybe the more interesting question, where would Henry Cejudo go if he loses on Saturday? That is, I mean, that to me is the biggest question of, of all of this, right? Because it's very clear what Henry's goal is. He, he's He's been very open with it. It's Sean O'Malley, then it's Alexander Volkanovsky. And as Jed mentioned, you know, I think a lot of us are loath at the idea of Henry Cejudo just stalling out this division that very much does not need to be stalled out right now with how much talent is behind them and how many contenders are coming up through the ranks, especially younger contenders. If Henry Cejudo loses, though, that's a that's a great question, man. It's it's is he in this for the long haul? Because I don't know that he is. He is in this obviously to try to become a featherweight champion. That is his ultimate goal. And if he if there is a a hurdle that is put in place in front of him, if he loses this fight and it's like okay, you just got to work your way back up now. I don't know because Aljamain Sterling has as he talked to our own Damon Martin earlier earlier I think last week, but it came out this week saying you know I have two fights left very likely at bantamweight. It'd be Henry Sean and then move up. Uh, and, and clear the way for Murab. So for Henry, at that point, it's, hey, I'm going to wait around for Aljo to leave, and maybe I can position myself to fight Murab for that title when Aljo does leave after the Sean O'Malley situation. But again, that's a lot of ifs and buts and candy and nuts, and I don't know if Henry Cejudo is here for it. It doesn't seem like he would be if that ultimate goal is taken away from him. So I don't know. Only Henry can answer that, but I would I would be surprised if at age 36, he is Suhudo is willing to stick around and build himself back up to another title shot. Jed, do you agree with that? What, what, what happens if Henry loses this fight? Three years, the layoff, you're coming back. He looks good, man. Like I saw some of the photos and I saw Eddie Cha's Instagram story yesterday with Suhudo taking the, the photos with the fight shorts on. Dude is in shape. He looks ready to go. But what if there is a, there's a real world out there where Aljamain Sterling just beats him? And beats him emphatically. Like, it could happen. Where does he go if that does happen? The first thing that happens is I'll laugh. I will laugh long, and I will laugh loud. I may never stop laughing, because, God, it will be funny. Uh, the second thing that will happen, it's there's two outcomes. One, if the fight is very close, then he'll probably try and get back to a, a title shot. Uh, he'll probably, like, if, if he loses 
uh, if it's controversial, he'll just lobby for a rematch, which just shoot me now at that point. Um, but if it's if he loses a contested fight and he knows that all right, Aljo's moving up, he may try and fight Piotr Jan and and get himself back there. Uh, I think the more likely outcome is if he loses, what I would advise him to do uh, is to just go to featherweight. What he what he clear he does not care about a bantamweight title fight. This very obviously doesn't mean anything to him. This is a means to fight Alexander Volkanovsky because he recognized he wasn't going to get to do it. So this is how he can make that thing happen. So if this is no longer an avenue towards that, his next best option is to say, okay, I will, you guys need to find someone to fight Max Holloway because God knows he's just staying around and is a problem. I will fight Max Holloway. And if, if he can beat Max Holloway, then boom, he is a ready-made featherweight contender. So I think that the overwhelmingly likely thing here is, is that if he loses, he just says YOLO going up to featherweight, going to try and fight Max. We'll see if that can happen. Uh, with a very small possibility that he sticks around one more fight, uh, maybe two more fights at Bantamweight if he can finagle it, or he just retires. So I, I think that that's the likely outcome. And can, similarly, if Sterling loses, I think he just bumps up to featherweight immediately. All right. Well, all right, same question for the co-main event, Jed, because we know where the winner of that fight likely goes between Gilbert Burns and Blah Muhammad. It'll Either get it, they'll get a title shot in their next fight, whether they jump Colby or wait for the winner of Leon versus Colby. But you feel like the man who wins that fight is going to get a title shot next, maybe the backup fighter. Bilal said he refuses, he wants to be a front up fighter. Love that quote. But the man who loses this fight, do you feel like they take a big step back in the title conversation? Or do you feel as if, you know, hey, these guys are doing us a favor from a UFC perspective? Maybe we'll be a little more lenient in that respect. When, when does the UFC really do favors for people other than, for some reason, Colby Covington, uh, which I still honestly don't understand? No. Uh, whoever loses this fight is never fighting for a title again. So just, that's just that's just the facts, man. <laughs> like, Gilbert Burns is 36, and if he loses, he's done. Um, great career, just never going to fight. Got a shot at the belt, almost did something, didn't. He's done. If Bilal Muhammad loses, he's going to need 13 fights to get a title fight because I am extremely unconvinced that if Bilal Muhammad wins this weekend in a classic Bilal Muhammad fashion, that he is getting a title fight from this. I am exceedingly unconvinced of that. So the loser of this is a total catastrophe for their title hopes. The winner, hopefully they will get one. They will have earned it. I am not at all confident that they will get one given the lay of the land at 170 right now. Shaheen, do you think it's that dire for the the fighter loser? Let's just say let's just say Gilbert Burns Gilbert Burns wins, right? And Bilal has to go fight Shafkar Rachmanov. The plan the UFC had right off the gate. Then he let's ain't getting Gilbert- a title fight if he has to fight Shafkar Rachmanov. I'm just painting a damn picture here, Jed Mishu. What if Bilal just has a great night and beats Shafkar? Like is that's got to get you back up a pretty big notch to, to to title contention, does it not? So, do you feel like the loser of this fight is just out of the picture altogether, or do you feel like the short notice nature of the fight, kind of adding a five round co main event to a card that desperately needed one after losing the Charles Oliveira Benil Darius fight, do you think the UFC takes that into account? This division 
is in such a stupid place right now, man. I hate, I hate where this division has reached. It shouldn't be. It, it should shouldn't be, in a be great place. It was. It, it is so. It is such an unforced error. It is so ridiculous where we've reached to where we are talking about this week. The idea, like the stakes in this fight, which again, both guys really like pushing all the chips in. Like both guys are really putting all this momentum that they've built into this fight and, and just saying, you know, screw it, we're gonna ride or die with this. The stakes are what? Like you, the winner gets to sit around for a year and and maybe at some point in first quarter, second quarter, 2024, challenge for the title when we've completely maybe. forgotten about this fight entirely. Like maybe challenge for the title. Like that Colby Covington and Leon Edwards aren't even going to fight until October or November-ish range. And then you have to give, you know, whoever wins that time. Time to recover, time to rest, time to enjoy themselves. Maybe it's a close fight. Maybe the UFC just decides, hey, it's close enough. Colby lost kind of close. We can throw Colby into a rematch. Like the stakes in this fight are so fake at this point and so non interesting and non exciting that it's a real shame. Uh, because especially Bilal, like I, like I, Gilbert is one thing, right? Because Gilbert is out here. He he isn't on some crazy long streak. He he's coming off a really nice win just in the last pay per view. So like he is he is doing the damn thing by by really high, trying to high roll twice in a row. But for someone like Bilal, where this is like four or five years worth of work for this man, this is basically his entire career this weekend right now is coming to this point. And if he loses, it's over. Jed's right. Like Bilal Muhammad's going to have to win 20 fights in a row to win to get a title shot if he loses this weekend. This is the UFC's best chance. And it's, it's it has seemed like the UFC has been trying everything in their power to get Bilal out of this conversation with the way they have booked him and the way they consistently continue to book him. This feels like their best chance to sort of forever get rid of Bilal in this conversation, which is a real shame because this man has done nothing but take hard fights, take what the UFC has given him, not lose in 10 straight fights, which is almost unheard of in the, in, in the welterweight ranks. And yet if he loses against Bilal, uh, or I'm sorry, against Gilbert on, on two weeks notice, having not been training for a fight at all in, in, you know, I think that's very much it. That that is the end of the conversation for him. And it's so it's so stupid. It's so stupid that this is what we've done with welterweight. That this is the place we've reached. But that's the reality. And and I wouldn't say the loser is forever out of it. But if the loser's below, he's forever out. I think there's maybe some way that Gilbert Burns can work his way back into some sort of equation. But I think there's a pretty good chance that regardless, the loser on on Saturday, it's kind of the, the end of the rope for their title title conversation. Cooked. That kind of sucks. Just sucked. They're just it sucks. Cooked. It kind of sucks. They're, it's that's the thing. It's what Sean, it's what she said. They're the stakes. The stakes aren't fake. The stakes are real. But they are not fighting for something. They are fighting not to be thrown in the pit of despair. Because I genuinely don't think the winner of this is getting a title fight. Hot take. There's the cha- the title is going to be contested in October. Sometime between now and then, Kamaru Usman's going to fight like Shavkat Rachmanov. And I guarantee you, Shavkat Rachmanov beats Kamaru Usman. I don't give a shit what Bilal Muhammad does in this fight. He could hit a buggy choke, and it's just not going to make a difference. That's the thing. Over that. Like, That's the thing. They, the timeline. The timeline of this is so hooked. stretched out to where, regardless, you could have whoever wins this on Saturday could have the most impressive performance of their life. Our memories, and in particular the UFC's memories, are so short-term that by the time October, November rolls around, this will be such a distant memory. It will be, it will, we will have completely forgotten about this, and it will be onto the new hotness, onto whatever the most the latest 170 guy to do something really interesting will be. Like this is 
it's really just doing a disservice to two guys who are they, company men who are doing the UFC a real favor here, like especially Bilal. It's just a bummer, to be honest. Their their best hope is that Colby Covington comes up injured because winning this will mm-hmm. move them sort of into backup range. But backup range ain't going to hold for a year, and that's the timeline they're looking at. Like, they are. I was thinking about this while, while you were talking, Gene, and Mike, love your love your thoughts here as well. Mike, we've we've shared some words about Bilal Muhammad um, and his inability to do the thing uh, when he has a mic in front of him after a victory. I believe he's going to beat Gilbert Burns this weekend. I don't even know what he could say on the mic, though. Like what, what, who can he call out in his post-fight speech? What can he do to advance himself? Cause I have no clue. It's not a call out. It's, it's listing every possible thing that he has done over the last four years and in, in co- creating such a compelling case with such energy and fervor that it, it endears the audience to him and just creates some sort of memorable moment that he can continue, continue consistently point back on, which, you know, what are the chances he's going to be able to pull that off? I don't know. That's a hard thing to do for anybody. Just don't call out GSP and don't call out Israel Adesanya, and I think you'll be okay. And it wouldn't shock me if he called out either of those names the way he's been doing the call out thing. But I like listening to you guys talk, and I said this earlier this morning. I really wish they just did the stupid Jan Bohovich Paulo Costa fight in this spot because why are we rushing this? Yeah. Why is this happening right now? Yeah, why this is it? I, I don't just get happen it. With full camps. Yes, this is the fight July title fight. Yeah, this should this should be like an August fight or something. Like this, this is just again, it's doing a service to both guys, especially below. Yeah, it could have been the co-main event to whenever Leon and Colby fights. You could do five rounds there. Like I, I just kudos to both guys for stepping in and saying yes. Like good on them, and they deserve tons of praise for for stepping up like this. But it it didn't have to happen here. It did not. I would have not to have advised them to do this. I don't know who's advising Gilbert. I think Gilbert maybe has a little more because he's not riding a huge win streak. I I would have told Bilal to fake an injury. I just been like, yeah, I, I can't make that. Um, I don't. That, that is not a viable for my timeline. I'll do this fight in July, but I because you're not going to get. You're not. They aren't. They aren't your friends, man. Your bosses are not your friends. They are not here to do the to do you a solid, and they are the the UFC history is littered with people who have done them favors. And outside of giving you another fight, they'll give you another fight if you step in on a short notice. They and you lose, they'll keep you employed, but they ain't doing you a big one here. I ain't keep Bilal Shinata taking this fight, even though I think he's gonna win. Yeah, like this is Gilbert's playing with house money here because again, this is. Such a quick turnaround for him. He just got a big win. Bilal, this feels very, very reactionary to the Colby thing. Uh, okay, this is what the direction they're going. I just need to do something quick so people continue to talk about me and make my case, which that just doesn't last until October. That doesn't last until next March or next April, whenever we're talking about what this opportunity would be. It's just, it's not how the sport works. Yeah. Well, tough. we will have more UFC 288 conversation on the preview show tomorrow. So just a little, we're wetting the whistle, so to speak. Let us move on. There's still so much more to talk about. Point for round two goes to. Out of despair, Jed Mishu. He's out of the, the, the pit of despair, the I sea thrive. of despair. <laughs> well, you, you, you the pit of despair is where I pit. do my best work. <laughs> I'm out here you swimming with out. the streaky needles. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> 
<laughs> now let's move on to the two best heavyweights in the world right now because they have both made headlines this week. The fight that got away, Francis Ngannou and John Jones. And we'll start with Francis Ngannou, Shaheen, because we have the man behind one championship, Chachi Sitchatong, coming out and getting ahead of things with Francis and his free agency. I thought the saying, man behind one championship was right there. Well, yes, he's. So you would have incredible insight to this, Shaheen, and, and screw you for drafting John Anik, but that's beside the point. But uh, your guy says, you know what? We're not even going to make the man an offer since we're essentially not on the same page. And he threw out a whole bunch of crazy facts and numbers that seem to be argued by many in the know. And Francis, at this point, still no deal publicly in place for a boxing match or for an MMA promotion. And people have had their opinions on social media, Sheen, haven't they? The media, you guys destroyed this man's career. Francis destroyed himself by turning down $8 million a fight for the UFC. Francis has failed free agency, and on and on it goes. Shaheen, what has been your reaction to all of this? Not surprised. I mean, this is typical, right? Like, we we called this sort of in the moment when all this happened initially with Francis that, like, hey, guys, this is, a, this is sort of the game plan that's going to follow from here. Like, this is what's going to happen if something doesn't change. Like, if he doesn't sign something very quick, this is the way that this is going to play out, in particular if John Jones wins uh, over, over Cyril Gaon. Because, you know, we anybody who's been in this industry long enough knows and has seen it that this is – an MMA industry overall, but for the most part, the, the fan base is a UFC-centric fan base, and the fan base rides to rides or dies with the UFC and goes to bat for the UFC over and over and over and over again. And Dana words, Dana White's talking points become law at certain point, and that's just the way that this all works. So this was very predictable, but the way that everyone has sort of turned on Francis, um, you know, it's it it's. I can't think of the I don't know that I have the right word at the moment but it's it's just so typical and it's so silly. Silly is maybe the best word because it's only been what like 2 3 months. It hasn't been very long. People just expect things to happen very quickly and maybe you know it's this guy's taking his time a little bit more. But also it's the thing that like the, the it's what we were talking about almost with the David Feldman thing with Bergen Knuckle and now one championship. It's all these promotions sort of framing it as if we turn Francis down. Like we decided that we didn't want to work with Francis when in reality that's not actually the case and that's just a little bit of PR spin and that's just the way that they're sort of saving face within themselves. Um the, Francis is doing fine, man. Like Francis we're hearing it, you know, there's going to be a deal announced pretty shortly. It seems like it seems like he's pretty in, close to announcing something on the MMA side. If he lay, goes and lands one big boxing fight with one, any of these top heavyweights, like it will have just been worth it for him. The way people are quoting this Dana White figure of, oh, he turned down eight million a fight. That's not entirely true. Like that is a very cherry picked way to frame that. And we even saw coach Eric Nixick talk about this publicly over, over this past week of like, that's not exactly what the deal was. Like the deal was if Francis lost at any point, his salary would drop dramatically. And that's just not how he, it, for, for a top heavyweight in the world, like that was a sticking point for them in, in the whole, again, the way on yourself, the way all of this has been framed is just so unsurprising, but also like, you know, man, whatever. It's all noise at the end of the day. Francis is going to sign, you know, what's probably going to be a very, very healthy, lucrative deal for himself in MMA. And in whatever he ends up doing in boxing will probably make him quite a bit of money. And, and if he's happy, ultimately, it feels like that's the biggest thing. Like he's just doing what he what he you know wants to do. And if that's if that's fine for him, that should be fine for us. The, the outrage and everyone rushing to call scoreboard on this. 
is just very bizarre to me for someone like Francis isn't a bad guy. Like Francis has turned into a villain for standing up for himself and maybe standing up for the UFC for all of the reasons and talking points and, and et cetera, et cetera, that all of us in, in the fan base and et cetera, the media, everybody has been saying for decades at this point about the, the unfair practices in the UFC, the one-sided contracts, all of that. And then finally one guy, the heavyweight champion of the world, the best heavyweight out there stands up for himself and he has been villainized for it. I think it just speaks to, to again, the, the, the fealty to the UFC that, has been built into this sport and the fan base and the way that people consume it and follow it. But again, it's just not surprising to me, right? Like this is, we, we expect things to happen quickly. And when things don't happen quickly, we call it a failure. Jed, what do you think? Because honestly, what Chachi did, it's no different. I mean, it's a little different, but it's kind of no different than what the UFC did, right? Because as soon as they cut ties with Francis and they announced the John Jones versus Cyril Gon fight, they went out first and said what they had to say, and they painted the picture, and everybody bought it. And then Francis got to retort a little while later on the MMA Hour and in subsequent interviews. But this is kind of the same thing, is it not? Like, what was your reaction to to all of this? Like the the statement, and then just the overall reaction from the fans and everybody on social media that Francis has failed at free agency and he screwed the pooch by not resigning with the UFC. Um everyone who believes that is dumb and that's okay. Like it's, it's not a crime to be dumb. A lot of people are dumb uh, in this country and around the world every single day. Uh, I would just encourage you to be aware if you are one of the dumbs, uh, just know it, know your role and try and do better. That's, that's really the thought here because look, um, promoters are awful people just, as a rule, almost <laughs> exclusively an industry catered to terrible human beings who themselves cater in at best half-truths. Uh, and that's not a, an indictment of the current landscape of promoters. It is a true reading of the profession over the history of it since time immemorial. There are at most like a handful of people whose job, like on their business card said promoter, that wasn't a dirtbag. Now there's everything's a scale. You can be more dirtbag. You can be less dirtbag. You can be Don King. You can be, um, you know, Dave Feldman. There's there's a there's a range in there. But uh, any time uh, somebody is tripping over themselves to throw somebody else under the bus, you should ask yourselves why. What what did who is benefiting from this man who? ostensibly has billions and billions of viewers. That's the part really, Mike, that got me. Uh, and, and the the wonderful Ariel Hawani talked about this on the MMA Hour yesterday. The part that gets me is the same people who are part of the joke. We all make the joke. I love the joke about one, one FC and, and the ludicrous statements uh, that, that Chatri makes regularly. Uh, and those same people who are in on that are like, oh, this one, ironclad. That man is rock solid. Never told a lie. Abe Abe Lincoln over there never told a lie in his life. Obviously, uh, this is unreasonable, and it's it's for all the reasons Shaheen said. I mean, it's predictable uh, what's come about. I would also just say that you guys are idiots outside of just on its face. Like, um, 
he's gonna sign with the PFL probably for a good chunk of change and with the options that he wants. And the most important thing of all of this, because I think this is really where the disconnect is maybe the biggest, is that there are an awful lot of people out there who just look at numbers and say $8 million is an absurd amount of money. And it is, it is, that is so much money. Dana White made like $600 million. So, you know, whatever let's, but that's not neither here nor there. $8 million per fight. As long as he's the champion is more money than I'll ever make in my lifetime. And it's hard to walk away from that. The question is not one is that, is that a lot of money? It's, is, is that his value? And you also need to factor in, and this is for anybody whether you are making, you know, 10 bucks an hour at, at a local store business, whether you are a prize fighter, champion of the world, the price for your participation is not just is the price you will accept. And there are a lot of people out there, Francis Ngannou is clearly one of them, who maybe the bottom line isn't the most important thing. Maybe taking a pay cut for, to go somewhere else where you have a happier workplace, a healthier business relationship, just people who believe in you and aren't terrible surrounding you, that might be more than $8 million per fight or $20 million, whatever the fake offer was. Those are important factors, and that clearly is a factor for Francis Ngannou. I still believe Francis Ngannou is going to get all the money that he possibly can will be doing very well for himself financially and will be doing it in a way that the, all of the other constituent parts matter to him. And here's the last thing I'll say on this because Ariel brought it up yesterday. He, I guess, reported this, and I think that it hasn't gotten enough play. What Shaheen said is right. Francis Ngannou is a good dude. This is not a sport with a lot of good people in it. Most of my favorite fighters, I have to just – kind of turn the other way for one thing or another it's it is part and parcel of being a fan of this sport Francis Ngannou is is not he is a good dude with a phenomenal story and part of the things he is negotiating for as a credit and a testament to him and his character is that he wants minimum salary agreements for his opponents because he doesn't want to hey you're gonna rob Peter to pay me no I get X dollars because that is my worth, but you are have to give Ante Delaja a, a minimum basic salary because a lot of people will fight me for free because beating me means so much to their overall career. That's not what Francis is in it for. He is in it for bigger reasons, bigger motives than just himself. I think that that is to be commended, and I still believe he's going to get paid when all this comes down. Well said. Well said. Um, speaking of pillars, uh, John Jones did an interview with Fox Sports Australia earlier this week, sort of doubling down that the upcoming targeted fight with Stipe Miocic, should he beat Stipe, that's sort of all he needs to be fulfilled. Jed, you're laughing. Um, Lit all right, I'll literally, literally just this moment, Francis Ngannou tweeted, don't panic, guys. Everything is under control. Hashtag have faith. Just Shout out to Fran. I mean, he clearly was watching. Himself. You're welcome, Fran. You're welcome, big Franny. I got you, baby. We got Sadiq Yusuf one week asking questions and commenting. Now we got the, the, the heavyweight champion of the world, the, the real heavyweight champion of the world. But uh, John Jones, who actually is the UFC champion at the moment, uh, he, apparently this is going to be it, Jed Mishu. This is going to be it. He's going to fight Stipe. He wins. He's done unless two things happen. One, 
they give him like 10 bags extra to fight Sergei Pavlovich, which is unlikely at best. Or if Francis Ngannou comes back to the UFC, which as of right now still might seem less likely than that. So do you believe him, Jed? It's a hard guy to, you know, walk around in his head and try to make sense of it all. But what did you think when you saw John Jones kind of doubling down? Steep is it unless Francis comes back or I get a floppity jillion dollars? Uh, I don't buy it just because I think I, I think it's a good thing to say, and it would make sense. His career, if he fought, you know, he beats Sirogam, gets the title, uh, and then beats Stipe, the goat. Uh, that's that's a very clear story arc, right? Like he's he's done. That's twenty eight no or twenty eight one and one or whatever. It's thirty total fights, never been beaten. It's a very very clean arc. I think that there are a couple of things that make me think this it won't happen. One, he can't really be like wait for Francis, right? Unless Francis gets re-signed immediately, he's gonna come up here. He's gonna beat Stipe, uh, and then then I. Well, is he just going to hold the belt? At some point, Sergey Pavlovich gets to fight for the title. So he either, if he's then relinquishing the belt, then this, then him fighting Francis is not for the title. Uh, should that come to come to pass in the future? So I sort of just don't really buy that shaking out. And I've I've said it for a while. I think there are a couple of very appealing reasons for John to stick around. The first is I think he thinks he can beat Sergey Pavlovich because I sure think he can beat Sergey Pavlovich because the the one time a human being has taken Sergey Pavlovich down, they beat the hell out of him. It was Alistair Overeem who at the time was already washed. Don't know what Curtis Blades was doing. No idea who told him that he was going about business the right way, but – I don't think John's stupid enough to try and swing swing shots with Sergey Pavlovich. So I think he can look at the, he can look at the lay of the land. He can beat Stipe. He can say I can beat that dude. And how much does that add to the legacy? The name not enormous, but there's a young murderer that everyone thinks is the next coming. Okay, I beat that guy. And then he looks at it and he's like, "All right, I am now officially 29 and 0." That with two heavyweight title defenses, you guys are twenty nine. I guess one and one or whatever. I won more win and I beat Habib. I have more victories in my career than Habib does. Who clearly upsets him that people believe Habib has any claim to being the goat. And two, I get one more title defense and I've tied the heavyweight title defense record. I can beat a Jailton Almeida. I, I could cook him. I can cook anyone else in this damn division. Tommy Aspinall in London. I think the the allure of what he can do for his legacy is too much. I think he comes back even after beating Stipe. We have some breaking news, everybody. Uh, our friends from Bellator have made a move. It's not Francis Ngannou, but they have re-signed Chris Cyborg. She's back with the promotion. Yay. Multi-fight deal. Yep, we don't. They that need, doesn't. They need to class. do this. <laughs> there we go. That's something. We got Sarah McMahon. We got Cats and Gano. We got. We got. Stoked for the Arlene Blin Cow trilogy. Let's go. <laughs> Maybe we'll finally get the Cats and Gano fight that we've been asking for for like two years. Yes, we got Sarah McMahon out there as well. So there's two right Say there. Sarah, <laughs> honestly, Sarah McMahon. I'm more interested in the Cats and Gano. <laughs> Not well, that I'm interested in either, frankly. Time. But sure. Congratulations to her. She probably got a, a very nice deal and good on her. Uh, 
Shaheen, what about John Jones? Do you believe him when he says Stipe and I'm done unless X, Y, and Z? I, I half believe him, right? Because John Jones is a smart guy. Like he, the way he has played all this out, he is he on top of it. He has hit every every check mark that he could have hit in terms of just playing this out the smartest way possible for him to come in here, take the time off, and then win the heavyweight championship. And now we all consider him in a different vein than we did, uh, you know, several months ago. That being said, I think there is an element of this being leverage. Obviously, if you're John, I mean, we've seen John over the last few years. He, what was the reason he held out? It was, it was ostensibly to gain weight to be a heavyweight, but realistically, it was because he wanted a bigger payday. He wanted to make, if you remember, Deontay Wilder money from David from Dana White, and which was scoffed at at the time of like, why would John Jones make Deontay Wilder money? Why would the, one of the greatest MMA fighters of all time, if not the best, make the same money as maybe like the third best heavyweight boxer? Um, but you know, that's, but like John, John knows how to play this game. Now he actually has the leverage, right? He is the heavyweight champion. He did the UFC a real solid by coming in here and completely changing the the narrative when it came to Francis Ngannou. Cause you can bet your ass if John would have lost to Cyril Gaon a couple months ago, the way people are framing this Francis thing would have been a lot different, obviously, because Francis beat Cyril on a, on a torn ACL. Like that would just be a completely different conversation. But now John comes in and the UFC can sort of reset it the whole, whole time and just say, Hey, we have the best heavyweight anyway. It doesn't matter. Um, that being said, I do think that I believe John to a certain extent, because there is an element of John that has followed him throughout his career that has sort of been one of the prevailing factors for his late career, right? Or especially maybe the second half of his career, maybe not the first half, but the second half of his career in particular. And that's risk management, right? Like this is the guy who all the way back when wouldn't fight Chael Sonnen uh, on a week's notice because it was too much of a risk, right? Like even though he would have just, just demolished Goddamn Chael, sport up, killer. Yeah, and then he just did end up demolishing Chael. <laughs> but it was too much of a risk in that particular moment to leverage everything that he had built and put all the chips in and say, hey, I'm all in on this short notice fight. John Jones is a master at risk management. That is why his later title run at one at one at 205, I'm sorry, uh, sort of became just so lackluster because he was fighting not to lose against a lot of those overmatched guys rather than fighting to win in spectacular fashion. He was just trying to extend this out as long as he could. Risk management for John Jones in this particular situation, I think he sees a fight against Stipe Miocic, who is a 40, 41-year-old man by the time this fight happens, and says, hey, you know, Stipe brings with him a lot of prestige, a lot of history within this heavyweight division. People call him the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time. I am catching him at the perfect moment where he is basically retired. He is he's already one and a half feet out the door. Uh, if this fight didn't happen, I think Stipe would have just retired already. So John sees a way to capture everything that Stipe has already taken and just claim it for himself and say, hey, okay, look at that. Greatest tool of fiver, and I beat your greatest heavyweight. Where am I now? I'm the undisputed goat. Because that's always ultimately been the goal for John. He wants to be the undisputed goat. He wants to to make that conversation a non-entity where if you know, maybe you have GSP, maybe you have whoever else, but John wants to leave it to where by the time he leaves. You only have to say John Jones and you can maybe as, you know, add an addendum of, hey, you know, steroids and, you know, cheating, et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, he has all these accolades and you can't deny him. That's where he wants this to leave off. And if he beats Stipe, Stipe, whether we like it or not, I think there's a good chance he'll probably get there in that conversation. I think at that point, he has as good a claim as anybody. And at that point, it's just sort of like you have to have John Jones in that conversation if you're having John Jones. Does adding a Sergey Pavlovich to that resume, does that bolster it? 
maybe a little bit, maybe a little bit with what Jed said in terms of sort of being one of those guys then with the most consecutive heavyweight title defenses. But I don't know that the risk is worth the reward if you're John in that case. Um, and also I would say too, Jed mentioned like w- w- the timeline of this, the Francis versus John fight. I think if John Jones leaves and, and vacates the title and then the Francis fight happens a year or two from now, that's a major fight regardless. Like if these two guys keep consistently winning, that will consistently stay a big fight for as long as we, it, it could possibly go. Like if that happens two years from now, the UFC could headline that a show with that fight and it will mean as much as it would have, um, you know, if it happens this year. So I will say that, but I believe John, man, I think there is a very, very real world where he just beats and the oldest, worst per- version of Stipe possible, and then rides off into the sunset, calling himself the GOAT until the end of time. And, and you know, at that point, he has quite a resume, and it's well within his rights to do that. So I, I think there is that element of John, that side of John, sees that road, sees that path out to be that undisputed GOAT type of figure, and I, I would be surprised if he doesn't take it. There's another word for risk management in fighting. It's called prize fighting. That's what John no, is. John is a prize fighter. I thought fighter. it was scared. I thought it was scared. <laughs> Don't be scared, <laughs> homie. <laughs> true, uh, true story. He just doesn't care. I, he doesn't care. <laughs> Don't be scared, homie, is probably the most significant MMA quote of my life because I never once used the word homie in like real life. And then I started using it ironically. And now it's just one of my everyday phrases. Don't be scared, homie, lives forever in me. No two people in the history of this sport have contributed more to the lexicon than the Diaz brothers. No. They have shaped the way we talk about this fight sports in a way that no one else has over the past 30 years. John, 100%. don't be scared, homie. Fight Sergey. Let's go. Well, let us move on. We'll see what happens with John Jones. The point for round three goes to... I'm giving it to Jed Mishu mostly because I had to mute myself and I almost spit water on my newest when you said, if you are one of the dumbs, I lost <laughs> it. I lost Look, it. It's, it's okay. It's like the youths or the olds. You're one of the dumbs. <laughs> uh, so speaking of one championship, they are making their U.S. debut tomorrow night, gentlemen. And there is definitely interest. Chatri continues to say things about the success of this promotion that reports say otherwise and all of that, but now heading to the US, this is something they've been talking about and envisioning for a very long time and it's finally happening. So Jed, we'll begin with you. We get Demetrius Johnson versus Adriano Marias three. There's a lot of other big names on this card. We get the return of Sage Northcott, Roberto Soldich, so forth and so on. We talked about how BKFC 41 needed to be mega, especially with everything they had on the line. One, probably not that dire financially, but how important is it for one championship that this card delivers? Yeah, they have the prime deal. I get that. And that's obviously big. But how important is it that this card gets some headlines coming out of it and that people are interested in it and that it delivers to the scale at which they hope? I don't know. I, does it matter? Um, I've been, I feel a little bit off on this one, right? Because that's been a narrative. Uh, hey, this is the U.S. debut. It's got to be big. Um, I mean, I, you would want all of your events to be successful. To me, there. Look, I'm. I am not a man to take uh, Shatri at, at face value at all because I'm not one of the dumbs. But 
I do think that when him talking about signing with with Amazon and and how that was going to revolutionize their in their company and to some extent the industry, I, I actually agree. I was like, oh, that's the biggest thing that you have accomplished by a country mile. Uh, and so, look, I, they want to do well, but if if the Broomfield Colorado Arena or whatever isn't sold out. Um, I don't think that that will be like a huge negative for them because their business is is largely comprised of of doing shows on Amazon. And so, yes, they have made it part of the narrative, but I, I am not sure it matters that much in general because they have been largely putting on events that are vis- – they're not like sticking to uh, Southeast Asian time zone market in that regard. So I think that – they want it to do well. I don't think this is make or break for them at all because I think that they are in a very good place having one of the biggest streaming services on the planet already as their benefactor, I guess would be a, a way to phrase it. So, um, And I think that they're telling us that as well because this is a card that is a little bit – they've put a little bit extra into it, but this is not BKFC 41. BKFC 41, the actions of Dave Feldman and our board of trustees told you this matters because we've got – we've assembled this like a knuckle mania basically. This is big. This is – look, DJ Adriano Moraes, great fight. Uh, you've got Rod Tang coming on. You've got Stamp Fairtex, Roberto Soldich fighting – a guy he's going to obliterate, Sage Northcutt. Like you've got names, but this is not a fully strapped up the best one can possibly offer. And I think that they know it, that, yeah, we want this to be good. We're going to put a little bit of extra love and care into this one, but uh, it's not make or break for them. It's This is just the next step forward on it, the inexorable path to being the 1B of MMA promotions. Shaheen, do you agree with that? Because... It seems like Chatri is like, you know, we're, we're, they're not like hop skipping and jumping into the U.S. Chatri has been very vocal, like we're taking over here. Like we're coming in and we're we're planting our flag here in the United States and no one's going to be able to stop us or the they billions. Need a better flag than this one then. <laughs> and billions of one championship fans. So do you agree with Jed that this is in essence uh, like a house money car? This is just an introduction, if you will. You're telling me Chatri was making wild, hyperbolic statements that can't possibly actually be true? That that seems crazy to me. I don't know who you're talking about. That doesn't seem like him at all. Now, Think about I mean, how is- fun life would be if you were just fully credulous to everything MMA promoters said. Like, how nice would your existence be if you never, like, questioned them? Like, oh, yeah, take that at face value. Sure. Got it. Be so great. What a great way to go. I want to live in that world. I want to live in that world. Um, no, I mean, this certainly isn't a Chatri put a double mortgage on his, took out another mortgage on his house type of situation, uh, you know, like this or refinance or whatever he did. Um, that's that's certainly not what this is. I mean, DJ Marias, I think there's a way you could look at that fight and say that's the best fight of the week, realistically, right? Like, I mean, DJ is DJ. He's, he's the flyweight goat. He's one of the greatest fighters of all time. I think you could very clearly just say, hey, that's the best fight of this whole lineup, 282 included. Um, the rest of the card is what it is. I mean, this is who cha- one championship is, right? You got a, a Muay Thai fight in there. You got some submission grappling in there. You got a little taste for everybody. I do like the the Wikipedia vandals have, have made it so that Rod Tang is fighting My- Mikey Musumeni, uh for his 
uh, you know, Muay Thai Championship, which that is very much not actually the fight, but that would be a hilarious fight to watch because Mikey is not that guy. Uh, but either either way, I don't think this is some make or break for them. This feels like a big moment for them. Certainly, this is going to be one of their bigger events of the year, if not the biggest. Um, but I don't I don't think it's some seminal like this needs to succeed in a real, very real way. Uh, otherwise, we're, we're bankrupt. Otherwise, we're we're selling off parts here. Like this is one championship is who are who they are. That they're successful for what they do on their part of the world, and they have a fan base regardless of whether we like it or not. I mean, our own just anecdotally, like our own um, Stephen Morocco just recently took a, a trip to Vietnam for vacation, and he said he didn't really see much UFC regalia over there, but he did see a lot of one championship regalia. So, like what they've done has clearly been successful for their market. I don't think there's ever a world in which three years from now, five years from now, one championship is rivaling the UFC, the UFC in regards to North American popularity or, or anything like that. But maybe they can carve out some niche where they are sort of seen as a lower, very viable tier to be running events here in Florida or Vegas or wherever. I mean, it seems like the, the Colorado show sold out for the most part from what we've heard uh, fairly early. So it seems like there's certainly some excitement for it, but ultimately Whatever happens on Friday, regardless of whether it's a good event, bad event, regardless of whether it's the most exciting event we've ever seen or just something that comes and goes, people will have forgotten it by Saturday because UFC 282 will be on Saturday and most of the conversation coming out of this week will be about UFC 282 because that's just how what this is. I mean, we're a North American company and, and the UFC is the biggest, is the titan of the industry. So they, they picked a bad week, certainly, to be running their first North American show. Uh, but it's a great card. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna be entertained. My Phoenix Suns are probably gonna be in the middle of losing their third game in a row to the Denver Nuggets at that exact moment. So I'll probably pivot over and watch one championship try to, to try to make myself feel good. Uh, but for the most part, I mean, I think this is a card that will deliver. And I'm always always excited to see DJ that that trilogy fight is is very intriguing to me the, the the dj knockout in the in the sequel was one of the knockouts of the year in my eyes and just another testament to with the incredible legend that that man is he, he consistently continues to just be so underappreciated and just also there is like a, a really nice poetry to the way the schedule has played out where we have dj on friday and then henry cejudo on saturday and both of these guys have kind of created a really interesting cool and just i don't know like you like to see it type of relationship frenemy almost relationship uh over the last few years between themselves obviously there's a lot of history there so you know i think this is a big event for them but i, I certainly don't think it's some sort of massive this needs to succeed or we're all going home type of thing oh yeah i mean that wasn't if, if i presented it that way it's not what i meant it's not listen they get so much i mean the floppity jillion dollars billions and billions of fans this is just a dent you know Put what I that mean? Amazon money, baby. Exactly. They're fine. And that Amazon sense, spent but... like half a billion on that dog shit Lord of the Rings show. They can chug up the roster for one in their sleep. Yeah. I mean, this is like WWE AEW right now. Like AEW doesn't really grow. It's just like the same people watch every week. So it'd be like kind of that comparison more than BKFC, whose founder is taking out and refinancing and taking out extra mortgages on their house, going legitimately all in. Obviously, one is not in that type of situation, but still, I think it's important for them to, to have a good card just to try to grow their audience a little bit more because people are going to be watching. They made a big deal out of this. So, all right, let us move on. We are running out of time. Maybe move on. Maybe we're done. Point for round four goes to. The suspense is killing me. 
Shaheen Alshadi. They need a win in Arizona, so let's give him round they four. They do. They do. I'll take a pity win. I will take any sort of win I can get at this point. A pity win works for me. We Arizona I mean, needs you, something. <laughs> I mean, you just saying, I'll probably... You know, I'll be watching, and my sons will probably be losing their third straight game. And then you wipe the single tear away, and I, I, I just couldn't deny you the point there. That means, uh, in a shocking turn of events, we're going to the knockout round. One question will decide it all. And something Shaheen said uh, a couple minutes ago has inspired the question that I've just come up with. I had some ideas, but I'm changing everything. Changing everything between what Shaheen just said and what I heard on BTL last week with Jed's question, stumping Mr. Brian Campbell, which I never thought would be possible. That was so shocking. That was stunning. The man who takes five minutes to answer a one-minute question. Didn't see it coming at all. nothing really to say. So I feel like this one might actually be be a good one. So, uh, Jed, you are the – I mean, you're the guy who has last appeared on the show. So what are we doing here? Do you want to go first or do you want to pass it over to Shaheen? I want to give Shaheen the choice. I'm going to defer the choice to Shaheen. I want because if, if he wants to win, I want to let him figure out the best way that Arizona can finally put put a W up there. I like it. What do you think, Shane? Just pass it I'm, over. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a jet. I'm gonna defer it to you, Mike, because Arizona clearly <laughs> makes terrible decisions consistently. So I'm just gonna pass the book off to you. All right. Uh, pass it to Casey. Go- pass it to Casey. Pass it. Pass it. I'm gonna give it to my dog, uh, Shiloh. No, Jed. I'm gonna go with you, Jed. I'm gonna okay. go with you. Uh, Because I feel like you could set the table really well here. Like, I really think you could set the table really well. So, so. here's sort of the question I came up with. Because we have one. We have the Game Bread Bare Knuckle car. We obviously got the UFC. We have other promotions that are in play that could potentially drop some news or do some things that would get reactions out of people. So, what I would like you to do over the next 60 seconds is I want you to make the case for what will or could be the best headline on MMAfighting.com this weekend. Could be hmm. anything. Could even be a boat, Jed. It's up to you. Could even be a boat. <laughs> <laughs> Love a boat. One minute on the clock. It could be hilarious. It could be great. It could be whatever you want it to be. It's The floor is yours. Go. I'm just going to take the one that immediately jumped to mind, uh, and it's a topic we already discussed. The headline is going to be Francis Ngannou signs with the PFL. Uh, I do believe that that is very close to being solidified, and when it comes, all of this, Francis screwed up. Francis fumbled the bag. Uh, All that's going to go out the window almost immediately because he's going to have a good base salary with it. It might not be the $8 per fight or whatever those numbers are. It's going to be a good amount of money. It is going to be tied to pay-per-view, which maybe won't yield a ton with PFL. But more importantly, it's going to be tied to Jake Paul. Uh, wouldn't shock me if uh, the old most valuable promotions gotten, got into the Francis Ngannou boxing game and helped create those kind of boxing super fights that we thought Francis could maybe get one of. I don't think get many, but he can get one of. So Francis Ngannou signs a non-exclusive deal with the PFL for his MMA services. That's the headline. Okay. I like it. And it would be just hilarious if that got announced, that they pulled an A-Rod during the Red Sox about to win the World Series, that they just announced Francis signs of the PFL like right before the UFC main event starts. Just being incredible theater. They they announce it with another diss track from Jake Paul, but Francis is in this one. It's going to be great. 
That'd be incredible. See, see, see what we've done with this headline conversation? We could have gone so much further with this. Shaheen, you've had time to sort of digest this question and you can go whatever way you want. So one minute on the clock, go. First of all, I will say I'm, I'm stunned that on this very uh, Cejudo heavy hating show between two <laughs> people who really hate the Henry Cejudo thing, that the headline wasn't that Henry Cejudo gets his comeuppance and, and sort of we all laugh at it. Uh, also, I don't know that Francis Ngannou signing with the place that feels like everyone expects him to sign with imminently would be that big of a headline at this point. I think it'd be a surprise if that wasn't sort of what, how this all played out. Uh, kind of bizarre pick there for you, Jed. Uh, personally, the best headline out of the weekend would, for me would be Phoenix Suns miraculously pull it 2-2. Kevin Durant and, De- and Devin Booker go off for 100 points each, and somehow this is a series again, but I don't think that's going to happen. So for me... Headline of the weekend, Demetrius Johnson seals the deal, pulls off knockout of the century, retires as one of the greatest we've ever seen uh, under a, a shower of confetti and he gets a big, you know, one championship trophy and it's just a big celebration of DJ. That to me feels like a really fitting way for this weekend to, to like work itself out. There you go. Opposite sides of the spectrum from a heavyweight... <laughs> Going to PFL to a flyweight slash bantamweight, depending on how you rank them, over in one championship. Jed? Shaheen, I, I'm not looking at, at the poll. Uh, you may win. Uh, that's just it's a long headline. It's, a bold, it's, long it's headline. a bold strategy to go with a man who couldn't get headlines when he was the best flyweight in the world. Like I will ride or die for DJ always. I do not care. Love him. Love him. Great dude. Just bold, <laughs> bold statement. So tying tying your hopes to that. Interesting choice. I respect the I mean, Michael Scott esque headline. Though. Do. You gotta you gotta live your truth, Jed. People are gonna do what the people are gonna do. Yeah, it's true. I also Vote. like how you filibustered the first 40 seconds while you thought of your answer. <laughs> it's like yeah. uh, that's what you gotta <laughs> do sometimes. Yeah. He spent 20 seconds crapping on your pick another 20 uh, seconds this dumb. I want the suns to win. To the suns. and then the other 20 coming up with the correct answer so you can vote now that's just debate um, strategy baby i gotta make you look bad before i look good i'm saying and i then, saw you i saw what was happening there shaheen with the michael scott dunder mifflin pr headline that just never ends i think <laughs> cherry on top of the sun i'm here so for vote the pity vote. i'm here for the pity vote arizona's taking l's left and right i got this losing record up here in the btl box like i need i need the pity vote if i if i can get it the man hasn't slept in months i mean come on I, oh jesus you're not even kidding yes uh so vote now for jed who sleeps great at night or shaheen who doesn't get enough sleep at it's this point, I'm, I'm sleeping in the playpen prison, which if any parent probably knows what the playpen prison is, where you're, you have to be in the playpen. Otherwise, the eight-month-old gets very upset if you're not in the playpen with him. So I'm literally sleeping in the playpen prison right that now. That just sounds fun. Sounds like a good time. <laughs> Super nice. A lot of to- I bet Super there are a lot of toys nine. around. You can have a good hang. Uh, as the votes tabulate, quick uh, little programming notes. We'll have a heck of a morning tomorrow. I don't know what time because we have the weigh-ins tomorrow for UFC 288. So I don't know what's going on there, but we'll let you know. We'll let you know. We'll preview show tomorrow as well to get you ready for UFC 288. Saturday, people's pre-fight show. Then the watch party. I'm excited to get back after it uh, in New York with my man GC. You can watch UFC 288 with us. So if you want to spend the $80 and watch the card. You can just join us for the little side commentary. Or if you don't want to spend $80, we'll just do our best to tell you what the hell is going on. Jed will actually be on for the co-main event. Uh, 
And Rob Font Chat is GPT better the week, baby. Yes, and Rob Font's going to join us for the main event. I'm sure he will have his sights set on uh, what fun. happens between Aljamain Sterling and Henry Cejudo. We'll have a post-fight show. AK and I will be back on Sunday for on to the next one. And we'll have boots on the ground in Newark giving you all the post-fight interviews and all that good stuff. So I think we have talked enough. Casey, show your face on the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. There you are. Looking. That mustache looks incredible as always. Casey? Do we have a winner or is this so close that we need to waste some more seconds? Uh, let's, let's waste a little bit more, a little bit more. Can we Ooh. Get, let, let's get some, let's get some filibustering from um, Shaheen. Uh, just, oh, it's so close. I just. I need- <laughs> Casey, I loved, by the way, is, is your poll, is the poll that you put on similar <laughs> oh, to unbelievable. last <laughs> No, no, I didn't go back. I didn't, I didn't go back to back. more votes than like anybody. It was great. Yeah. Casey had like 14% of the vote. Yeah, yeah. I did. I, who'd I beat? I think I beat Jed. Who'd I beat? <laughs> I think no, you no, beat uh, both Jose. No, yeah, yeah. Brian might have I, had I, like 40. Yeah, yeah. Brian I beat Jose. Had. I did beat Jose. And yeah. <laughs> You know, you know those morning combat dudes. They yeah. roll. They roll deep in the pole yeah. games. All they right. do. They do. I think. I think Drake Riggs got more votes than Jose too. Yeah, Drake. Drake <laughs> travels. Drake travels with peeps. No doubt about it. It's good All fan right. base. Yeah. yeah. The loyal. The very loyal. All right. We have a winner. <sighs> Your winner today with fifty-two percent of the votes is. Ooh. I feel like I know where this is going by how depressed Casey is. Yeah, I couldn't hide it. <laughs> Jed Vishu. <laughs> Jed! I wanted it for you, Sheen. I tried, I, I tried. We did everything. I was we could. singing the same thing, Sheen, too, but I've previously thought that and been wrong. Just like maybe not. Maybe maybe Casey's pump faking us. Well, I'm sorry. Congratulations, Jed. Uh, the hosting chair to the winner's circle. What would you like to say? I actually uh, have something that I prepared this time, so I'm excited about it. Because I'd, I'd like to take this opportunity to reach out directly to Aljamain Sterling. Aljo, look, I'm, I'm not your biggest fan, but I'm not your biggest detractor. I was one of the few men at this website who maintained you as the number one bantamweight in the world for the entirety of your reign. So take that and, and understand that what I'm about to say is it's with love. Be a better friend. Aljo, be a better friend. I believe you're going to beat Henry Cejudo, and you have spoken openly. Then you're going to fight Sugar Sean O'Malley, and then you're going up to 145. Your buddy's waiting. Might be the best bantamweight in the world. He's probably, if not the best, the second best, and he's he's not getting any younger. It is tough to succeed in this weight class, and the longer you make Marab Valashvili wait, the less of an opportunity he has to be a champion, to get those championship checks that you've already been getting. So... After you beat Cejudo, bring Marab into the cage with you, hand him the belt, and walk out. Say, guys, I'm going to 145. I'm going to be cage side for Volkanovski versus Yair Rodriguez, and I want the winner because it is my right and it's Marab's time. Be a good friend, Aljo. The sport is depending on you. Wow. I mean, I think we can all take something away from that lesson that Jed Mishu just gave us. Shaheen, I know you're disappointed, but uh, any final thoughts? I mean, is, is there really any more disappointment that could enter my body at this point? I, I just expect uh, pain, sadness. I've had, you know, 34 years of nothing but that. So it's just par for the course. 
I mean, you could lose the AK. But, that would that would be worse. I have. Oh, I have. Don't worry. Oh, that's right. Never mind. Think of Shoot. the good times. Hit the music, Casey. <laughs> think of the days when you signed Kevin Durant, when you get the trade and you're like, yes, this is it. We have ascended. Think of those times, the happy times. We had Slack messages, lots of them, when that signing happened. But we wish you luck, Shaheen. All the best to the Phoenix Suns. All the best to the Boston Celtics. We don't need to send our best to the Atlanta teams because none of them make the postseason anyways. Go dogs, That is baby. all for our show. And, yeah. and go Eagles now. Let's go Eagles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There you go. Yes, the draft. Uh, the Eagles have like the entire Georgia roster from the last two seasons. So. Phenomenal. Thank you very much. It. Back next week to react to UFC 288 in the weekend that was for Shaheen, for Jed, Casey, I am Mike Hack. Thank you for watching. Good night, everybody. Love y'all. This has been Between the Links, an MMA fighting production on the Vox Media Network. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. DraftKings brings you same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more. You can download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOXMMA. That's code VOXMMA for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligible and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.